Hello, wild ones. Welcome to the Black Girl Country Living podcast, where we explore nature as a way to connect to ourselves, community, and the living world. Join us each month as we explore a new theme with stories and interviews that center the perspectives and experiences of people of color. We are a collective on a journey to find healing in nature and discover how the outside can guide us inward. If you are ready, grab a cup of tea, take a deep breath to ground yourself in this moment, and let's rewild. Hello and welcome to the belonging edition of the Black Girl Country Living podcast. This is probably going to be coming out in June instead of May. It's just been a wild month, y'all. That's just how life goes sometimes. This month, we are sitting with the idea of belonging and how nature creates spaces for us to cultivate a deep sense of belonging, how we are all born with a ability to experience belonging at the deepest level and that oftentimes we are looking outside of ourselves. Today, I am really excited to get into some of those ideas. I have a letter to you, my words on rewilding about how my understanding of belonging has evolved over the years. We have a great conversation today from a friend and a, a peer of mine in this outdoor space, Samad Hinton talking about how he has created a beautiful community of belonging that center around experiences outdoors. And just a heads up, after this episode, we are going to take a little bit of a break. At the end of the show, I'll give you some updates on where the podcast is going. So let's get into it with this month's Words on Rewilding. My dearest wild one, finding belonging has become a calling after a lifetime of longing to know it. The feeling was foreign to me after being a lone black girl amongst a sea of white, growing up in the Midwest, forever struggling to know what it meant to belong. I was deeply aware that I was different and that my difference made me somehow less worthy, though it wasn't clear why. I was told that I simply needed to behave in a respectable manner, and that I too could one day belong. That it was my responsibility to overcome the barriers to belonging by proving that I was worthy of respect and willing to contort myself into any shape in order to receive it. I excelled in the performance personally and professionally, forever dazzling people with my magical stunts, yet always remaining on the outskirts of belonging. I stood on the outside holding this invisible weight of otherness, while simultaneously being told that the load didn't actually exist. My knees sometimes buckled under the weight, but I didn't dare stumble, fearing that I may be seen as too weak to belong. I knew that my physical being made others uncomfortable, the texture of my hair, the width of my nose, the thickness of my thighs. And so I tried my best to ignore, hide, disguise, I pretended to be less tall, less smart, less opinionated, less complex, less aware. I craved being told that I was good, and I wanted to believe that belonging would follow. 
But it wasn't until later in life that I realized that I had been chasing the wrong things. My thirst for approval as a form of belonging waned when I experienced true unconditional belonging at different moments in my adult life. Moments when nothing was being asked of me in order to receive. Where I was believed to be whole and worthy being just like every other being. When I was celebrated for everything that I brought into this world. These moments were pivotal times where I experienced truth and love in its highest form. Moments of clarity that shifted my worldview and made me wonder why we've created such a hostile world that perpetuates fear instead of love. The first was when I married into my husband's big Nigerian family. People from his village were so thrilled to meet me, and they poured love into me in a way that I had never experienced. I will always remember one woman who looked at me and said, she's a beautiful white girl. <laughs> that statement blew my mind and taught me many things. It taught me that race is indeed a construct. And after a life of wishing my black features would disappear, I understood for the first time that there is inherent beauty in my blackness even if the rest of the world refused to tell me. The second time I felt an immediate embrace was from Mama Nature. I was fresh out of bed and nursing my new baby when I felt called to be outside on my deck to enjoy a glorious spring morning. My inner bully screamed, do something with your hair. Who will respect you looking like that? I ignored her, and I stepped out anyway. When I did, the skies opened up, and a halo of birdsong rained down on me. It was an experience that I can only describe as godly. They saw me in all my perfect imperfection and showered me in love and beauty. Both of these moments reflected to me that belonging is a tool of our imagination that can be used for destruction or for connection. They taught me that setting conditions for belonging is a means of control and excluding that which we do not know. But now that I had felt unconditional belonging, I couldn't know that I too could have it. Instead, I had to unlearn the belief that other people had the keys to this feeling of deep connection. So I worked to cultivate a sense of self-acceptance, which grew into self-love and blossomed into self-admiration. I told myself that beauty and worth could look like me until I believed it. Now I understand that the only place I truly need to belong is to myself. With love from your rewilding guide, Hillary. So y'all just heard a little bit about how my understanding of belonging has evolved over the years. And I think one of the important things that I can look at in that story is how much a sense of belonging to community helped me to cultivate the ability to create belonging within myself. And this next conversation really focuses on the importance of creating communities of belonging. I wanted to invite on somebody who is actively building a community that centers experiences in the outdoors. And this individual I met through the REI Business Incubator Program. His name is Samad Hinton. He is building an online platform called Black Beatles. And we had such a long and beautiful conversation. And I wish there was time to play the whole thing, but we'll have to have Samad on for some more discussions because I think 
he and I really see eye to eye on some of the things that are important in creating spaces of love and connection and community. And we are approaching it in in very different ways. And I think that is really important and really valuable because there's definitely no competition when it comes to creating spaces that allow people to feel a sense of belonging and to just feel really deeply loved. With that, I'm going to share part of this wonderful conversation with you and we'll have Samad on another time to get deeper into things. Here we go. So this month we are talking about community and I brought on somebody today to share a little bit about his community and how it has shaped him. So I would love for you, Samad, to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the space to do that. Most people will know me as Samad Hinton, founder of Black Beatles. Our mission is together we make wellness joy achievable for all here in Houston, Texas. But the way I think I would want to introduce myself to your great and wonderful community as Samad Hinton, someone who is tried to reimagine wellness where people feel liberated, people feel like they belong, and people feel like they have a voice in the way they want to approach their wellness and well-being. There's nothing better than seeing people grow, people being able to have a space for joy, and people being able to show up authentically and to say in public, you know what, I love you, and that's okay. And maybe we just from the South, we like to give a lot of hugs. So I want to ask you about the community that you've built. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired it and how it's been shaped by being outdoors? Yeah. It's always tough to talk about how the community started because really it started with the passing of my father. And when he passed away, and I'm honest about like how I was in that journey was not having really the tools to navigate what it means to lose somebody who you loved unconditionally, right? So going through that grief and trauma, but also along the way, experiencing my first panic attack at age 39, all of that coming together at one point, I woke up. The next day from that panic attack, and I remember my wife, Kelly, asking me, when are you going to take care of yourself? And it was at that moment of I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not really doing the things that bring me joy. And so it started off with, hey, let's just try something like going for a walk. <laughs> let's just try something like that. And going into a walk turned into, let's try to maybe eat better. Walk eat better. Okay. Now let's try to maybe get on a treadmill. So all of these little steps started added up to the day it all changed for me. It was my mom's birthday. My mom's birthday fell on a Saturday. And I said, okay, to actually honor my mom today, I'm going to run 14 miles. Her, her birthday is June the 14th. And so I went and I was, as I was running, I think I got like the mile seven. No joke. I just started like crying, like all these tears, all these emotions. I'm like, what is happening? And 
in doing that, what I realized is that our breakthrough in having that space, because I think I went 14 miles. I know I definitely started at 530 to go run. <laughs> I started real early. So to be outside, no cars, you see people, birds flying. That point in time when nature in the world is at its quietest moment, it gave me the space to actually breathe and to think about and to give love, to just give all these things to what you said earlier, no judgment. And I wanted other people to feel that same way. And so starting Black Beatles was wrapped in that. It was wrapped in, I wanted to give other folks space to not go through the grieving process, the healing process, the celebration process by themselves. I wanted to design Black Beatles as a space creation for people to design their own experiences, but they get to do with other people who might be going through the same thing. What other way can we be better at serving each other than doing something like that in community? And so the idea of starting with our podcasts and talking to people who were creating spaces, professional athletes running marathons, and some folks were doing this as a, as a hobby. But when we really saw things start to take form in the community, it's when we start doing the run crew meetups. I think about fast forward to now, uh, and I really have to think our crew members would be open to you and you go on from just running in every setting creating a safe place for folks from the BIPOC diaspora to going out to state parks to trail run, which in Houston is the big deal when you get bodies of coaches to drive an hour out, <laughs> out to the country to go to an amazing and beautiful state park. To now, I think about what we're doing. One of, one of the big initiatives we have now with our crew, it's called the We Run This campaign. It's a run-walk space for women of color dedicated for them to not just create sisterhood, but amplifying issues that we know to be true when it comes to safety, body positivity, being othered. This campaign really has not only taught me a lot, but it just made me extremely proud to see what is happening with our runners as some of them have become mothers and fathers. It's just been really dope to see how this one campaign cuts across our entire crew. All that to say, the run crew has been an inspiration of how we now got to the digital platform, which is knowing that people were showing up, not because of the run, they were showing up because of the familiar faces and the relationships they had. Yeah. Let's expand that and bring more people to this circle, this space, and be able to have that conversation mm. and be able to just be on that journey together. Because in that moment of self-discovery, man, it's great to have somebody on the other side that can relate with you and continue to build with you. And so all that started from really a run dedicated to my mom and my, my, my partner challenging me of like, when are you going to take care of yourself? 
and that led into a bigger questions to stay here today and to see the people, the families, the communities who are impacted here in Houston. It's just been amazing and great to see. That's amazing. And I'm impressed that you decided to do a half marathon just oh. on a whim. <laughs> oh wow. my God. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a whole different story, but yeah. yeah. I would love to know how you've seen the crew. You talked a little bit about the connections and the okay. sort of organic growth that they're bringing. What other ways have you seen the crew evolve over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a line somebody shared with me recently, take space and make space. And it's been great to see now crew members show up with knowing that they have agency to show up. There is no, there's not going to be judgment. Um, when I first started, a lot of it was, hey, somebody, you got to show by example, you got to open the door and let people know it's okay. Now I don't have to do that. It's not just somebody doing it. It's Fran, it's Stacy, it's Nick, it's Chad, it's Ansel, it's Kelly, it's Jesse, it's all these other people, how they can just show up and be their authentic selves. And that's what community is all about. Our history, what we know to be true is that storytelling community was built off going to somebody's door and saying, hey, how can we help each other out? It is community that is leading. And that's what's been really great to see change is that it's going from one person trying to create community to where now community and peers lead and guide themselves, but more importantly, they can show up with the agency and the autonomy that they deserve. And that, that showing up now spills into how they show up for family and how they now showing up at work. They feel like, no, I don't have to do that when I go to Black Beatles. I don't have to code switch. So why would I do that here? It's the little things that we're starting to see. And I didn't think it would turn out this way where people now feel like they have the agency to not just exist. They feel like, no, I belong here. And now they hear the stories that they're actually doing it. As the young kids, it's pretty effing great. <laughs> it's, it's pretty I mean, great to see. It's so powerful. And what you said about having to be the sole leader, mm -hmm. I think that is exactly how we are trained to see leadership and believe yeah. that leadership works. But what an incredible thing to witness that when you can back up and it's not just about you or your ego and you're demonstrating that by allowing other people to step up and bring who they are into this space and let it morph depending on what that community needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's well-being in that. I think mm -hmm. that as founders of colors, whether that's a nonprofit, for-profit, just a community, activists, I think we're all activists. In, my, in our own way, different conversation. Yeah. But there's a well-being in that to show up and feel like we have to carry that burden. Me that what I see a lot of times is that we're not building community in a way where we're decolonizing the way leadership should show up. 
because it should be across the spectrum of we are moving together as a unit to break down these barriers for us to have that tenderness. It should be one person. And that's the one thing I would say of like, when we talk about learning from ancestors in the civil rights movement and, and who we hold up and how we hold them up, we have to also take a step back and say, it's crazy that Dr. King had the heart of a almost 70 year old and he was mm-hmm. in his thirties. We have to think about that too and say, yeah. as were we doing this as a community? And that's mm-hmm. what I'm learning as a leader. It, from my perspective of, I don't want to be a leader of, of like a name. I want the community to lead itself. And I am just a creator of space and they get to design the space, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And that's yeah. where I feel like as founders of color, we have to break and understand that there is the trying to unlearn way of what need what it means to show up and say, really, what is my role of showing up? Is mm-hmm. it a short term, long term? But once we figure how to unlearn some of these practices that reinforce patriarchy, misogyny, white supremacy, once we unlearn that leadership has always been presented to us in that way, I think we become better humans. I think we show up for people in a different way. And I think we get to change ourselves from being leaders to actually being builders mm-hmm. and architects. And to me, I think that's real leadership when you can build, be an architect and let the people design their experience. That's given the autonomy our people have always wanted. Yeah, we need that so badly. And I think sometimes all it takes is seeing an example of it to recognize that it is possible. So the ripple effect you talked about earlier is very real. It's very real. Can you share just one thing that the community has helped you learn about yourself? <laughs> oh, good to start. It is okay for me to be smart. Like, I don't have to, I don't need to be smart title this. I don't have to be that. I can show up as Samad Ali Hinton from Orlando that try, always tries to make sure he's a good son. He's a good brother. He's a good husband. I can just show up as that. I don't have to show up as what somebody deems me in terms of a title. And that's been really good. And that's also been one of the things of understanding what's driven by ego and what's driven by pride and what's driven by community. And they've helped me over these last couple of years, really helped me understand that they need me to just show up as Samad and nothing else. And that's just been a tremendous weight not to carry because it's good that I can show up with me in all facets and be humble, be vulnerable. Because I think to say we're standing for wellness and well-being, I think it's important for me to showcase that same display of vulnerability, transparency, but also authenticity. And so it's been, shout out to the crew for 
just allowed me to be that and show up in those ways. Oh, so important. So important. Yeah, that's a lesson. I think you have to continue to relearn and relearn. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as we unlearn, oh, like I didn't have to be that person. Oh, who was I being that person for? Why was I doing that thing? I've been thinking about this a lot recently too. So that hits home. Where can people find more about Black Beatles? Oh, yeah. You can go to blackbeatles.com to our website. On Instagram, we have two handles, Black Beatles and then Black Beatles Running. The difference is Black Beatles Running is going to feature more information about our rent crew here in Houston, some of the cool stuff we're doing. And then our Black Beatles handle is going to be more about our community app and what we're doing. Uh, definitely feel free to drop into one of our mindfulness sessions. Or if you just want to check in and talk to people, join in one of our beam huddles. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on, Samad. Yes, thank you. Samad, thank you so much for joining us this month and um, sharing all your wisdom. I think it is such an admirable and important thing to create spaces right now where people feel loved and held and can express their lived experience of really trying to understand themselves more deeply. I think many of us are on this journey. And I think one of the most powerful things that we don't get enough of is truth. And when we are able to put words to what we have been living, what we have been experiencing, it is like a release. And when we can witness and be witness to other people who are also on that journey, it allows us to know that we are, we're not alone in doing this. So thank you, Samad, for all the work that you're doing. It is beautiful. Last thing before we go, this is going to be the last podcast of the season. I'm going to take a little bit of a break, maybe reimagine some of these things. One of the things that I love about doing this creative work is being completely and fully responsible for making it feel fun and making it enjoyable and also creating something that I feel like is offering some significance to you all who are listening. And I want to continue to do that. I really have been leaning deeper and deeper into the conversations we've been having with all of these folks uh, from the beginning of the year through now. Each time I get to have a conversation and go deeper into a topic that is interesting to me, but also dig deeper into other people's journeys of self-discovery and deepening our connection with nature, the earth, outdoors, whatever you want to call it. I think it really helps us to evolve our sense of, of what connection, what relationship can look like. And I think we're in a moment where we really need that. We really need to be in conversation. I think that being in conversation is where change takes place, where we can start to see maybe how we are living and moving in ways that are not actually in alignment with what we believe and what we value, where we can start to become more open to new ideas that I think on the surface, a lot of times we're fearful of or we're uncertain about. And I really want to lean more into creating space for conversation. So 
more on that when I know what that's going to look like. But for now, I really appreciate all the love, all the support. Be sure to subscribe to the magazine. You'll be the first to know when the podcast is returning. So stay tuned. Take care, everyone. 